Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time I spoke with Joe Blood, owner of Posture People. We spoke about the importance of being comfortable at our desks or even dining tables, working on computers and laptops, and the value of workstation assessment and how it can bring long-term health. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guests today come from a legal background and also a tech agency background and have brought together the solution to overcome legal regulations and changes for anyone that has a website. I'd like to welcome... Donata Stroink Skillrud and Hans Skillrud to my podcast. Good morning, both of you. Good Hi, afternoon. Lou. Nice yeah. to see you. <laughs> oh, how are you doing? Doing well. Just starting our week, and yeah, yeah. At the time of this recording, it's uh, early morning here in Chicago, and I know it's the afternoon in the UK. Uh, but we've been looking forward to this all weekend, so we're really oh. excited to get into it today. Fantastic. You come from um, two industries um, that I have uh, spent some of my uh, working career in, certainly from you, your perspective, Hans, working kind of web and tech agency. And I have had a little, uh, you know, kind of a dip into the, the legal world as well, Donata. So this for me is bringing two elements of my life and my struggles uh, and challenges within my current um, organisation to, together. So tell us a bit about your individual backgrounds and then how things kind of came together to be able to help people in the tech industry. Sure. Um, so I'm Donata. I'm the president and legal engineer behind Trimageddon. And I'm a licensed attorney, licensed in Illinois, and a certified information privacy professional. I'm also the chair of the American Bar Association's ePrivacy Committee member of their Cybersecurity Legal Task Force and Science and Technology Council. Um, and I'm also a fellow at the American Bar Foundation. Um, and I guess since we're talking about the legal background, I did want to note that we're not providing legal advice today. It's for informational purposes only. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to go, I'm blown away by your credibility and your uh, accolades and all the things you're involved with. Um, I've certainly not uh, heard that raft of, a wealth and experience until this point so thank you very much for sharing and um, I value your experience uh, without anyone taking any legal advice from this particular episode well and, and now it's my introduction which is a huge downgrade so like <laughs> I, I'm I'm better known these days as you know uh, Donata's husband um, but uh, my name is Hans I'm the uh, former owner of a 12-person web design and software development agency that's where I learned about you know, building websites. And I absolutely love doing it. I would have done it forever had I not met uh, Donata uh, and our paths kind of changed a little bit. Um, I told her over a dinner date that she told me she does, she drafts privacy policies and uh, terms for her direct clients. And I just told her I copy and paste those from competitor websites whenever my clients ask me to. And she's like, you're kidding me, right? Do you realize how bad of an idea that is? And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true, fair when you say that. So, uh, so um, yeah, that that kind of brings us into well, outside of Termageddon, and we are married, and and we we you know are living together and everything like that. And 
But we actually built out Termageddon, um, which is an, a website policies generator. Um, so you use Termageddon to generate privacy policies, terms, cookie policies, cookie consent solutions, policies and tools that help you comply with laws and limit your liability when you have an online presence and you want to grow that online presence. Fantastic. I I love what the, the kind of combination when two human beings come together and there's problem solved rather than one going, actually, what you're doing is really illegal. Stop doing it. Um, there, there's a there's a, an essence of being able to support uh, kind of a, across the across the kind of barriers and boundaries. Um, I know uh, I'm a web developer like you, Hans, uh, which, you know, I'm sure we could talk for hours about web development and challenges and platforms and testing oh, yeah. and all the sorts of other things. But primarily, you know, when anyone's developing a website for a client, it's about being able to give the level of service and um, kind of credibility, both from a design and technical aspect, but also from a legal perspective, which I think, you know, maybe some people overlook um, the importance of that, but maybe you can share why it's so important. Absolutely. So, um, when a client asks you, your the web agency, you know what they should do for certain features of the website. The website agency is always there to help them and give them guidance, um, their opinion, their recommendation. This also happens when it comes to legal policies, and it's kind of stunning, I think, to a web agency the first time they experience it. They're like, "Wait, why are they asking me for what they need to do for their legal compliance? Like, I'm not their attorney." And I think that speaks to just how much small business clients trust the opinions of their agency. The problem is that for years, um, the agency, you know, we want to keep budgets, our client budgets are typically small. We don't want to charge them an arm and a leg. We want to give them a good service, get their presence up and, 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 and be able to manage them on an ongoing basis. And we don't want it to cost them an arm and a leg. So when the clients are like, what should I do for website policies? I think for years now, we're just like, all right, let's just go copy one from some other website. And it just never felt right. It always mm -hmm. felt icky. And to be honest, I thought I was the only one doing it. I was like, I don't know what anyone else is doing, but this is what I'm doing for my clients. And it just felt awkward. And when the client comes to you and asks you for their opinion, you know, I think it's really important to make sure they understand, you know, hey, happy to give you some advice. You know, please note though, I'm not your, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not your solicitor. I don't, I, you know, these are just my recommendations. And where we're going with these new laws passing, and, and Donata uh, will speak more to it shortly here, but you can't just have a privacy policy in place now. You have to have a strategy to keep it up to date over time. So copying legal documents from another company website is even worse of an idea now. Um, so we as agency owners, we need to we need to accept that regulations are coming into the web design space. And rather than trying to stick our head in the sand, we need to embrace it and be able to give our customers options so that they can select what's best for their business. And if they don't want policies, that's fine. What can we do as agencies to protect ourselves? So we can dive into any part of that, but there's a high level answer there for you. Yeah, no, thank you, Hans. I think, you know, when when some of us, you know, started developing websites back in the 90s or maybe a bit later, it really wasn't a case of, of understanding the legals. I mean, I, I do vaguely, you know, know that we were kind of passing cookies and there was kind of tracking data even back in those days. But it's even more prevalent now. And and people are like you were saying earlier you know, really considered about their privacy and how they're tracked. But, um, you know, as web web development agencies, 
if you want to you know measure certain performance indicators then some of that tracking data is essential uh you know as functional functional elements um i now know from you know using termageddon uh, on my own sites but you know kind of level of essential functional and remind me of the other marketing, kind of marketing. or analytics so, yeah. yeah so the, there's lots of different levels but maybe donata you can talk to us a bit about the the legal implications and obviously of recent years policies have and regulations and laws are changing so frequently i love seeing on your website the countdown to the next kind of legal update and then i'm going oh okay yeah this is time to implement this thing now so that any of these changes for anyone visiting website around the world can be safe in the knowledge that they're kind of covered from a legal aspect but talk to us a bit more about your input Sure. Um, so I think you're totally right in that if you were building websites in the 90s, early 2000s, people didn't really pay that much attention to their privacy, right? The only time where they really paid attention was maybe when they were inputting their credit card to buy something. But other than that, it just really wasn't a big deal. And people weren't really being tracked to the extent that they're being tracked now. And their data wasn't being used in like the harmful ways that it is being used now. So if you're building websites back then, it's totally normal and makes complete sense that, you know, you thought privacy wasn't important at the time because it really wasn't such a big deal. And then we had different countries and different states come out with their new laws. Um, so you had GDPR and UKDPA come out. And then you had the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which really, in my opinion, kind of brought privacy to the forefront of consumer minds. So what happened there is that the data of millions and millions and millions of Facebook users was harvested without their consent and then used to manipulate political advertisements. And once that kind of scandal came out, consumers were like, wait. I'm filling out these surveys on Facebook. I'm getting, giving them my name. I'm giving them my phone number. I'm giving them my email. And I have literally no control over what's happening to that information. So that information can then be used against me. That information can be sold. I'm getting all these spam texts. I'm getting all these spam messages. There has to be something that I can do about that because it's really annoying. Like I feel like I have no control over my personal information. And that's where we really saw the proliferation of these privacy laws. So each state in the U.S., each country around the world passed and enacted their own privacy laws, giving consumers control over their information. Now, whether that's the right to delete your information, the right to opt out of targeted ads, the right to opt out of sales of information, basically allowing consumers to control what happened to their information online. And one of the main requirements of these privacy laws is to provide consumers with adequate information so that they can understand what is happening to their information online. And that is done through a privacy policy. So your privacy policy explains what information you collect, what you do with that information, who you share it with, whether or not you sell it, all different kinds of things. 
And these privacy laws, they don't really care where the business is located. They care where the consumer is located because it's really based around consumer protection. So yeah. if I'm a consumer in the United States, for example, I can easily visit a website in the UK without actually being physically present there or vice versa, meaning that businesses need to comply with laws outside of the state or country in which they're located. And they can be fined by those countries as well. And mm -hmm. having a privacy policy is important because each privacy law provides the different disclosures that a privacy policy needs to have. So if I have a privacy policy and I need to comply with GDPR, I'll put on the disclosures in GDPR. But if I need to comply with Virginia's privacy law, I have a separate set of disclosures that I need to make. And unfortunately for me, most of them do not overlap. Um, so there, there ends up being a lot there, a lot of mixing and matching and, and resolving conflicts and all of those types of things. Mm. But a privacy policy is meant to provide the information required by those laws to comply with those laws and therefore avoid fines and lawsuits. I think, um, you know, you've brought up a really interesting point. So it's not the location that your website um, is developed in or even hosted in. It's the visitors that may arrive at your website. So really thinking, you know, kind of changing the mindset to be more customer focused, you know, whether it's a UK demographic or US or anywhere else around the world, being considerate of those individuals, not in your, you know, kind of local area. So we're talking about online um, data protection in lots of different countries. But I know within the UK, um, you know, we used to get sent junk mail um, in the post, and maybe that's the same in the US as well. Oh, yeah. Kind of back in the kind of 80s and 90s, and, you know, kind of sharing of addresses from kind of, you know, electoral rolls or whatever it was, or the, the, the big yellow pages we had in the UK, mm -hmm. um, uh, and kind of telephone directories. So any company could just, because that information was public, they could just search through those um, addresses and locations and send out, um, you know, junk mail. And it was only certain kind of, you know, preference services that you then had as a customer had to register with so that you didn't get bombarded by postal or telephone kind of information. But with online data protection, it's really kind of flipped it around the other way. And it's now the responsibility of the creator rather than the receiver, which I think is, you know, a massive shift uh, in terms of responsibility. Yeah, so you just brought up a really good point, and it essentially highlights the difference between the UK and the US. So in the UK, you have an opt-in model, meaning that you cannot process my data until I actually opt in to that data being processed. So for example, like you can't send me email marketing messages until I tell you, please send me email marketing messages. Yep. In the United States, we have the opposite approach, which is opt out, which means that you can process my data all you want until I tell you to actually stop, if I have yeah. that right. Um, so those are huge differences between the UK and the US. And I think also what's interesting about these is that all of these laws are constantly changing as well. Mm -hmm. So as technology evolves, so for example, you had or the world evolves, right? In the UK, you were part of the EU. So you were covered under EU GDPR. And then the UK left the EU. So now you're covered under UK's Data Protection Act. So at that time, everybody had to switch their privacy policies to say, 
from residents of the European Union to residents of the United Kingdom. And now the UK is thinking about changing the UK DPA to relax some of the requirements. So if that change happens, you will have to update your privacy policy again. And this is all just within the UK. In the US, we don't have a federal privacy law that covers regular data like names, emails, and phone numbers. We have some laws that protect financial data or health data, but they're not for all data. And so we're having each state propose and pass their own laws. So we have like 10, 15 different laws that we have to comply with. And some residents of some states have these rights. Other residents don't. Uh, Some residents need to see this in their privacy policy. Others don't. Um, You know, so it's very, very difficult for us. I don't know how a small business would keep track of all of this, Um, you know, but it's a lot to keep track of for sure. Um, I just want to reassure any listeners, if you're spinning around in circles right now and you know that you haven't updated your privacy policy for years, even though um, data protection laws have changed, please relax Take it easy. Continue listening to the rest of this episode because it's going to be really helpful to you. <laughs> there's some there's some good solutions out there. You know, when when it comes to just how complicated this one little segment of legal is, you know, there also are companies out there that are trying to make this make sense to people. Um, the yeah. fact is. You know, people getting privacy rights is something I don't think, I I think very few people are against. I mean, in Mm -hmm. general, most people want people to have privacy rights, like, especially as we go into this new era of technology. Like we, if we don't have this fundamental pillar set up to protect individuals, like things get really awkward really fast. So, you know, a right to privacy is something I think most people agree with. I think it's worth fighting for. And, you know, the, the, the challenge we have is that every jurisdiction is going to define their own rules and regulations, making it very challenging to someone who just wants an online presence. Um, yeah. And, and but there's companies out there that will help you embrace it rather than you trying to just hide from it, for sure. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Donata and Hans, co-founders of Termageddon. So we've kind of covered a lot of the legal information Um, and the kind of changes uh, and all the rest of the things and uh, mentioning you know providers that can help anyone that has a website or small business owners kind of maybe maybe even medium size to large size business Mm -hmm. owners that with their um, you know privacy terms and conditions and ultimately their their kind of cookie policies but if you don't know what cookies are, maybe we can do, between us, Hans, do a little bit of a, a debrief so that people understand what's being tracked or all the elements of what happens behind the look and feel of a website when people visit. Yeah. Um, so when you visit a website and you log in, and let's say you close out of that website and then you come back to it like an hour later and you're still logged in. That is not magic. That is something called a cookie. And a cookie is a little packet of data that helps a website understand your relationship to to that website. So when you cookies, I think a lot of people think are like this bad thing. Oh, cookies are why everything's wrong in the world, the online world. And that's absolutely not the case. Cookies are there are cookies that are absolutely essential to have things work unless you want to log in 
to a website for every page you visit while logged in, you want cookies. Um, cookies yeah. help remember that you're logged in. Cookies help determine what language to display the website in. Um, there are so many good features of what cookies do, and all they are are little packets of data that sit on your browser. So if you use Chrome, it, the data sits behind the scenes in Chrome or uh, Firefox or Brave or, or whatever you use. Um, actually, those are two systems that go co try to go cookie-less, but, <laughs> but, but, but regardless, um, cookies are a great thing that help websites work correctly. However, yeah. there are also cookies that help website owners understand how people use the website. Analytics cookies, tracking cookies, even marketing cookies, where you can understand not only how many visitors are visiting my website and understand like how they interact with your website so that you can make improvements to your website, but also um, you could use cookies to be like, oh, this person visited this particular page. I want to run advertisements to that person. And there's marketing cookies that allow you to do that where you can use uh, companies like Facebook to like run ads towards those people to remind them of your product you have for sale, for example. Where things got tricky with cookies is that there are tracking cookies, the marketing cookies, the analytics cookies, the cookies that people don't necessarily know they signed up to, mm -hmm. and they're now being tracked and observed. And in general, I personally like to think those cookies are fine. Most people are not up to do nefarious things with it. They just want to be able to efficiently market to you. The problem is, though, is not everyone wants – people visit websites that they don't necessarily want to be known that they're visiting. Maybe they're curious about something. They want to explore a topic that even they are uncomfortable wanting to explore. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they don't want to be, they don't want to be tracked during uh, these types of browser visits. Um, so regulations have come in place to make sure that users give consent first prior to allowing cookies to be placed on their browser. And, and I, I should note, you know, there's there's several different types of cookies as we discussed. There's like the essential cookies that remember when you're logged in. And then there's functional cookies like embedding a Google map or reCAPTCHA. Or there are marketing cookies like Facebook Pixel and things like that. Well, Marketing cookies, functional cookies, we need to get consent first prior to letting those, um, especially third-party tracking technologies, run and put cookies on the user's browsers. And that's why cookie pop-ups exist. Yeah. I, a lot of people think of cookie pop-ups as these bad things. Oh, these are annoying. Like, this is, I hate this. You know, and I get it. Like, you know, not everyone's super excited about having a layer on top of their website. And that's what you have yeah. to interact with first before visiting the rest of the website. But what's really happening there is those website owners who are giving users the ability to make a choice regarding their consent settings actually are respecting their privacy rights. They're not just being oblivious to it. They aren't disrespecting it. So I think as time goes on, more and more people will just become aware of the fact that cookie consents are actually a measure of respecting one's rights and complying with laws. It raises professionalism and it helps ensure that the website owner gets consent prior to letting third-party services like Facebook Tracker or whatever, Google Analytics from firing and putting non-essential cookies on the user's browser. Does that kind of help with cookie? Absolutely. Um, I did see a meme recently. I know where whatever website you go to, you have to accept and maybe there's a time period. But, um, you know, the meme kind of says, you know, when when am I going to get cookies delivered to my door? Um, <laughs> but... Um, We'll, we'll not go there. I'm just trying to lighten the load because sometimes, you know, talking about the, the legal sense, 
I remember discussing cookies with colleagues, you know, very kind of early in my web development days. And it was all quite fun. But actually, it's become quite serious, you know, kind of concept for developers and site owners uh, and to be taken quite seriously uh, and to be responsible with their usage and, and how we kind of, you know, operate sites and, uh, you know, apps as well. That's right. And, you know, you're based in the UK. So really, any website you visit from a UK business, you should be seeing the cookie consent option. Um, and in you being, well, no, you're right. Technically, that's not true. I, I have Donatix <laughs> chiming in to verify. Yes, of course, that's not fully always true. But the UK Data Protection Act, GDPR's ePrivacy Directive, Canada's Pipetta, Mm. California's CPRA, Virginia's VCDPA. These are all great examples where consent or opting out um, exist. Um, and, and when those laws apply to you as a website owner, yeah. if you're tracking people, you need to give people the ability to consent first. If I can just add one thing here. Um, so consent, you know, we've been throwing this word around consent and a lot of people don't necessarily understand what consent actually means. So consent mm is an affirmative action taken on behalf of the user that signifies their agreement to being tracked. So that means that you need to provide a yes option and a no option, or like accept and decline. So if you're using a cookie consent banner that just says, by using this website, we assume that you're okay using cookies, that's not consent. Um, or if it just has a yes option or just an okay option, that is not consent. So you need to use a cookie consent banner that has both options and allows the user to choose. So if they choose decline, you cannot place those cookies on their device. So they should not be firing. Only if they select yes, that's when the cookie should fire. Yeah. And I think kind of holding that back and, and you know, if there is a decline, sometimes the site can't load at all because, you know, Hans, you and I know that to make websites function in a lot of senses, then it's requirement, you know, you need cookies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you do decline, you may well have a much reduced uh, website service. But at the end of the day, as a consumer, as a visitor to a website, it's your responsibility to consent or decline. That's right. Yeah. And I think we have so many website owners that love free things. You know, you know, if I want to build a website for a local business, I'm not going to develop the functionality to provide a map and a map feature. No, I'm going to go to Google Maps and I'm going to yeah. click copy and I'm going to embed it onto my website. But we have to be careful there, though, because that's a third-party system that can put cookies on the user's browsers. And therefore, it's to many people's surprise that, oh, my gosh, I'm, as a website owner, installing so many features onto my website. Mm -hmm. We are free. But what I'm actually doing here is I'm exchanging my user's data for this free device yeah. or for this free feature. And that's going to be the wake-up call I think a lot of website owners realize, which is, Oh, I've been for the last decade or so, I've been using free tools, which again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just that these free tools have kind of had a business model behind the scenes. They haven't been giving it away for free. Yeah. Uh, it's not been for free. It is harvesting the website visitors' data. So yes. now cookie consents help give consent first prior to tracking those people. And I think part of the the knowledge is that if you're running a small business or a small business website or helping others develop websites, you don't necessarily have the legal expertise, nor might you have kind of other expertise in 
in different industries that are required to bring that whole um, you know, online service for your clients, customers together. And that's kind of where gaps start appearing in that kind of complete picture. That's right. For sure. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add real quick, too, that the law does allow for essential cookies. So essential cookies are cookies that can fire without the user's consent that are necessary for the operation of the website. Mm. So if you have a cookie without which the website just would not load at all, um, you can have that cookie without the user's consent. So there is a way to have the website have most of its features without the need for consent. It's just mostly stuff that tracks people for ads um, or tracks people for other things that are not necessary to the operation of the site itself. Yeah. I, I love the the kind of thoughts in my head now about um, you were saying about the, the searching and the terms and the cookies. Um, you know, often when you're having a conversation with someone, you know, it'll turn up on your socials. Um, oh, yeah. there's, there's kind of other tracking. Well, no, no, it's it's scary. I, I've had that happen to me so many times where I'm talking about something yeah. and then I conveniently it's available on my phone, like through YouTube or Facebook. And I always find that concerning. I had that happen to me where I was talking to somebody about the salary of a nonprofit CEO of like a very well-known nonprofit. I was like, I wonder how much he makes per year. And then I Google search how much does, and then the remainder of the sentence completed on my phone as a suggested search. I'm like, is this a really such a common search or like, is somebody listening to me? So I get that for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we attract in all sorts of ways and, you know, I guess from one perspective, it's our responsibility to say, no, we decline. You know, I know people don't have certain devices or certain apps or, or various other things for their own, um, you know, kind of privacy, respectfully, you know, respectful privacy. Um, but, um, you know, we all play a part in the, the whole scheme of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think what privacy laws are trying to do is just to give consumers the right to be able to remove it. You know, yeah. like if iPhone didn't care about privacy and like just didn't give you options, they would just listen to you regardless of what you do. And, and the mm -hmm. fact that these companies require to provide the ability for uh, features for people to opt out of certain uh, tracking elements, I think is also yeah. a critical aspect of, a, of a, yeah. the future, what we need for the future. Yeah, I'm quite intrigued in the US that you have to, you know, it's automatically you're opted in and you have to actively opt out. Do you so see change? Do, do you see changes kind of coming? Because obviously, you know, we've shifted from that in the UK, um, you know, many years ago. And now we, you know, even when I was kind of developing websites kind of in corporate world back in the early 2000s, we were having to already have conversations with our marketing department and put functions in for people to kind of opt in, opt out. And if they hadn't double opted in, then they weren't allowed to communicate with them at all. So, yeah, maybe we can talk about the the kind of changes, the upcoming things and, and how to kind of handle the overwhelm potentially of all of that. Because, Donata, that sits on your shoulders from a legal perspective. Yeah. Um, so we're not really seeing a shift towards an opt-in model in the U.S. Um, any of the bills that have been proposed that, that are proposed with an opt-in model have not made it, at least this far. Um, much more of an opt-out model. But what we're seeing is 
more things that you can opt out of. So we saw initially opting out of sales of your personal information, but now we're seeing laws that are passed for opting out of um, direct marketing or opting out of targeted ads. It seems like targeted advertising is very mm. much starting to become regulated in the United States. What we're seeing more of in the United States is each uh, state proposing and passing their own laws. Because again, we don't have the federal law, so the states are taking it upon themselves to pass and propose these laws, which is kind of creating this fragmented system that's mm -hmm. difficult to comply with. Um, and from what I've seen, it seems like we have a long way to go before we get to a federal law. Um, there's been one federal bill that's been proposed for multiple years now, and it just doesn't make it. Uh, it doesn't make it through the legislative process. So I think what we're most likely to see is each state passing their own laws with their own requirements. Uh, and then businesses will have to figure out how to comply with those laws because most of us do business all over the United States, right? Like it's hard to do business just in one state or collect the data of just one state. Usually yeah. it's, it's coming from all over the U.S. So you're going to have to comply with 10, 15, 20 different laws um, before we get some kind of federal system in place. Mm. And I guess if you've done your, your work correctly, Hans, you know, the SEO content, the structure, you know, the design, then it becomes appealing to more than just your local demographic um, it, it's potentially kind of worldwide scope. So it's mm -hmm. it's quite a big concept to comprehend and, and take on board. It um, is. But I, I think there's a couple things that you can do to kind of whittle this down, right? Like you initially think, oh, gosh, I probably have all these laws I need to comply with, all these requirements. So the first thing that you would want to do is determine what laws apply to you. So like whose information are you collecting who are you selling to? Where are your customers located? Who you're tracking online? Things like that. And then, um, you know, create a privacy policy that includes the disclosures that are required by the laws that apply to you. Um, that's where a lot of consumer complaints come from. So consumers mm -hmm. usually complain when they don't get the information that they need or they don't. They're not allowed to provide consent and they're just tracked without their consent or when they contact you to exercise their rights and you don't respond or refuse to exercise that right. So yeah. privacy policy is kind of the first layer of defense against privacy fines because it provides consumers with that information. It makes them understand what you do with their data so they're not like shocked when something yeah. happens. Um, and it provides information as to how they can exercise their rights. And then lastly, what I would do as a business owner is just create a simple standard operating procedure on how to respond to privacy rights requests. So if somebody contacts you to delete their data, how do you do that? Or if somebody contacts you to unsubscribe them from uh, your email list, how do you do that? Or to correct their last name, let's say they got married, how do you change their last name in your system? Things like that. And I think those three initial first steps will help you kind of gain control over what's happening, and then also just help people exercise their rights, provide them with their privacy and avoid fines as well. So don't get like super overwhelmed by all the stuff you have to do. Just start with those three things and then you can kind of build on that later too. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, I I was going to ask for some top tips, but uh, we've done it the other way around. Um, Hans, have you got anything to contribute um, from the kind of top tips yeah, so there are 
two options, in my opinion, that help you get um, proper policies onto your website. There are attorneys or solicitors, depending on where you're located. And then there are policy generators. So if you go the attorney route, that is definitely the best route if you can afford it. Of course, like attorneys can provide you legal advice. They can help you understand things. If you go the attorney route, ask them questions to first off, understand the fees associated with their quote. Attorney, I married one. Attorneys are normal people. They, they, have, they have to explain things too. He has um, to say that or else he gets trouble <laughs> at home. Um, <laughs> You get like a poster that says attorneys are people too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, ask, ensure that they understand that privacy laws protect people and that their first step is to help you figure out what privacy laws apply to you. Because that's the essence yeah. of finding out all the responsibilities you have. Mm. So, and then you also have to ensure that the attorney has a strategy to monitor privacy laws and keep them up to date over time. This can obviously be quite expensive, um, mm -hmm. but some businesses can afford it. And excellent. There's nothing that beats hiring an attorney um, for the long haul yeah. uh, for this type of situation. But the, the alternative, which is a much more cost-effective alternative, is to use a generator. Um, and obviously, I'm a little bit biased because Termageddon is a website policies generator. Um, and policy generators offer policies at a fraction of the price of an attorney. Yeah. However, the con to a generator is that they're, they're not legal service providers, rather they're mm -hmm. tools to go through and, and, and a good generator will walk you through a series of questions that help you identify the laws that apply to you. And then their questionnaire will adapt and ask you the questions necessary to make the respective disclosures under those required laws. And the best generators out there will then notify you of changes and even push newly required disclosures to your website policy pages whenever the laws change. Yeah. So an attorney, I would estimate, would be about ten to twenty thousand pounds, ten to twenty thousand dollars, and then an ongoing fee to monitor privacy laws. Generators, term again, for example, is one hundred twenty dollars US um, per year for a full set of policies, including a cookie consent. And then we put notify you whenever laws change that impact you. Yeah, but attorney prices do vary. So like if you're in London, you'll probably be paying yes. significantly more yes. than if you're in the suburbs, right? They also vary based on the person's experience and things like that. So before you actually have them start the work on the privacy policy, ask them how much it will cost to draft the privacy policy the first time. And then also how much it will cost to update the privacy policy with changing laws, just so you understand the full cost. Yeah. Of, of what I, I think that's really important, actually. You know, like building any website, you don't just leave it alone for years and years. Mm -hmm. It's that ongoing, how can we maintain and keep compliant or, you know, keep up to date with with technology and with with the law. So I think that's that's really helpful to kind of know that, it's a it's an ongoing process rather than a one-off um, yes. and from a mindset perspective that actually all of these technologies and kind of legalities are ongoing it's yes. not a, a one 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 kind of implementation yeah for for i think for decades now we've considered policies as a static document you just yeah. copy and paste from someone else and put it onto your website and like that was a great era i mean i built websites during that era i love that era uh, but the reality is regulations are coming in more and more people are getting privacy rights your, yeah. your policies can't be static anymore you have to develop a strategy to keep up to date with changing legislations 
our industry is getting regulated. And in my opinion, it's getting regulated for the right reasons to protect people's privacy. And we as website owners can either embrace it or we can keep our head in the sand and keep pretending it doesn't exist. And hopefully you don't get fined. Hopefully you're not sharing data with companies, but chances are Mm -hmm. you probably are. Uh, Most websites do. So keep in mind. Fabulous. And um, you're both working together in this organization. Can I ask how you you kind of manage your time? Because obviously um, it sounds like the the responsibilities that you both have both have are kind of 24-7. So how does it how does it help for being a married couple or a, a couple in running a business? Well, I feel like we kind of have a great routine. So, you know, we get up in the morning, have breakfast, work out, whatever, and then start work at eight. And then, you know, we'll have lunch together, which is really, really nice. And we work from home. So we get to make our own lunch, which is even nicer. And then, you know, towards the evening when we're done, we're kind of done. So I have my office. So when I finish work, I'm out of this room. And then Hans has his office. So when he's done, he's out of that room. And then we kind of try not to talk about work unless something crazy happens. Um, so once we finish our work in the evening, we won't really talk about work again until the next morning. And we try not to talk about it during the weekend too. And I mean, sometimes stuff does come up where we do have to talk about it, um, but yeah. we really try to keep them separated because we're also like living in our workplace too <laughs> since we work from home. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like if we didn't try to separate it, then it would just be you know, constantly work all the time, which would not be good for us. But yeah, yeah. no, we've gotten a good balance in place. Um, And it's not like we're doing everything together. Like I'm, we typically actually never see each other. I'm downstairs. Yeah, I'm very loud. So I'm down, I'm put down (laughs) into the basement uh, where I can be loud uh, on calls. But um, one thing that I think is beneficial is that we are pretty much exact opposite people, which is like, you know, she's logic. She's the, you know, a very logical, intelligent. I'm more emotional, excited. Like I'm just always pumped to meet people. Um, (laughs) I think that works well. Who would have guessed she's the attorney and I'm in marketing, you know? So, um, but uh, I think the fact that we have such, yeah, Yeah. we have very defined separate roles makes it very easy too for us. Yeah. Fantastic. That's really helpful to kind of, and, and a nice, you know, nice thing to kind of hear that there are clear boundaries and a good working relationship as well as kind of leaving it at the office door and, uh, you know, having time together. Uh, So any, any other advice either for any kind of partners wanting to start um, a business or from a a kind of policies and procedures and, you know, legal side of things, any last, last tips or tricks? So I would say one thing that you should be aware of is when people contact you to exercise their rights, there's a certain day limit within which you have to respond. So sometimes that can be 30 days, 15, it can be 45. So try to figure out where your data is ahead of time. So figure Mm -hmm. out what systems, what databases, all of the data is being uh, stored so that you don't kind of freak out and miss the timeline um, or go over the timeline when somebody does actually contact you. So like, do you keep data in active campaign? Do you keep it in HubSpot? Do you keep it on your WordPress backend? Do you have backups? Like where does your data actually live? Because if you have that mapped out ahead of time, when somebody says, please delete my data, you can just quickly go down a checklist and then delete it from everywhere. So that's really 
kind of my advice. When we first started, we actually got a couple data re deletion requests. We haven't had one in a long time, yeah. but uh, we, we, we used to get them. And because we had already identified all the sources of where the data is located, yeah. It was like a 30 second process. Yeah, Maybe not 30 seconds, but like two minute yeah. process where you just go down the line, you de delete it from your Gmail, delete it from your CRM, delete it from your email marketing yeah. system, like mm -hmm. constant contest. So that, yeah. that's a really easy one. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to appreciate that, you know, whilst there are services like Termageddon that you can use for cookie and privacy policy, it's all of those other things. It's like the iceberg concept, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. where those data um, elements are kind of stored which platforms and being able to kind of reach in and delete and kind of remove or update that data. So from a business owner perspective, you've got to know where where all of your assets are in terms of kind of data and saving and backups and all the rest of it. So I think that's as important. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you, you will be responsible for managing people's data and, um, and for, for everyone who's like, Oh, I don't know. I store my data in all these different well paid, locations. I bet you have 10 or less locations. The typical average small business owner, it's 10 locations or less, usually. Yeah. The back end of your WordPress website, your email server, your CRM, your email marketing mm -hmm. software. And that tends, to, I mean, that really covers a large mm -hmm. portion. And then I'm maybe you're in a unique industry where you have some other areas where you store people's data. But but um, it, it's not as scary. Once you start writing it down, it's really yeah. not that scary. Okay. And yeah. then you just got to delete it. That's It's that easy. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for your time uh, and having this conversation. Hopefully, listeners, you've gained some knowledge and experience from data protection side uh, and maybe also running a business together. How can people get hold of you, Donata and Hans? Uh, so we're on social media under uh, at Termageddon, T-E-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O-N.com. No, oh, not no the dot com. com. That's, but the, that's website. the website. <laughs> Remove the dot com to get to the social media sites like Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, whatever. Uh, and then you can find us with our names um, on LinkedIn as well. Yep. Fabulous. All of those links will be in the show notes. So if you'd like to reference those, then you are more than welcome. Anyway, thank you very much for your time and um, catch up soon. It was excellent. Yeah, thank thank you. you for having us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening. Please don't meet you, I said.